Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. to another episode of Large Almond Latte. I am your host, Nicole, and I hope you've all had such a fantastic week, especially if you got to enjoy a long weekend. I'm down here in Melbourne, so still locked in my dungeon, and yet again, I have absolutely zero to show for my week. I'm still not going to resort to boring you with stories about my baby or my dreams. Well, okay, maybe just one, because last night I had a dream that I was able to get my regrowth done, and as a blonde, you have no idea the pain that I'm going through. Needless to say, it was the best dream I've had in a really long time, but I'm just going to leave it there. And instead of boring you with yet another story about my weekly outing to the supermarket, I have another replacement, and it is a thank you speech. And the thank you is for you. Yes, fan, you, the listener. So when I started this podcast, I <laughs> I thought I would just talk shit off the top of my head for 20 minutes and I'd be a certified member of the Blue Tick Brigade in like a month. And I was mildly off the mark, like 2020 is a mildly inconvenient year, because bringing you this podcast every week, writing and publishing articles on our website, hustling to promote and grow the brand, it's actually really hard work. It's a full-time job. And unlike when it's not my brand I'm looking after, it's a job that I really refuse to do half us. And as a self-proclaimed lazy biatch, as you know, if I would have known how much work was involved in this, there is no way I would have done it. I just, I wouldn't have. I would have been so intimidated by the amount of work. But The reason that I keep doing it is because of you. And I am so grateful for that because I absolutely love doing this so much. So if you weren't listening, engaging and liking, I would be a failure. I'd be curled up on my bedroom floor surrounded by a flood of tears the size of the Atlantic Ocean. So I want to say thank you so much. Side note, I do appreciate that this is mildly self-indulgent because writing this was a little bit like writing my Oscars thank you speech and I am starting to accept that the likelihood of me accepting Best Actress at the Oscars is slim, so instead I'll get to do it on my podcast. Now, I did really want to thank people by name, but then I got really stressed I would forget about people and you'd get mad and I don't like drama when it involves me, so I'm just going to do it this way. Okay, thank you to the fans who always participate in the Facebook group podcast question week in, week out, without which I literally would have no content to work with. The fans who always engage in our social content because we work harder than Kris Jenner to keep that going, so those likes are validating. The fans who share stories of themselves listening to the podcast and tag us, giving us free advertising 
Thank you. The fans who take the time to give us a five-star review and rating, yes, it's really good for my head, but genuinely, it makes my entire day the fact that you have stopped to appreciate what we're doing. The fans who just listen to the podcast every week, thank you. The fans who slide into our DMs to chat with us about the episode and share different insights and new perspectives that we might not have even thought of. And the fans who might be listening to their very first episode, welcome. If I was rich, which you know I am not because literally every second episode I've got a new get rich scheme I'm working on, none of which have come into fruition yet. But when one of them does and I'm mega loaded, like go to Europe for the summer and stay in five-star hotels, not hostels loaded, I will be slinging you all so many presents as a token of my gratitude. But until that day, please accept my extreme gratitude in words. Today on the podcast, we're mixing it up a little bit. If you're a new listener, typically we have one or two segments and then a review. But this episode is solely dedicated to some brunch banter with dietitian Jess. Not to be confused with my woo girl slash sometimes co-host Jess. This Jess is an Aussie dietitian based in Cambridge, UK. She has a particular interest in the significance of food in people's lives and finding that perfect slice of cheesecake. A woman of my own heart, obviously. We discussed wellness washing in diet culture, like the dangers of untrained influencers spreading baseless wellness philosophies, the ever-persuasive genre of Netflix food documentaries, and most importantly, she cuts through all of the unsolicited crap we've been fed and answers your questions straight, including can you get a J-Lo bod and still enjoy a Big Mac? Spoiler alert, the answer is yes. Jess, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. You must be super busy working in the UK hospital system right now. Yeah, no worries at all. It's actually really nice to hear an Australian accent, so it's a nice touch of home. So Jess, I want to cut through all of the bullshit and get straight to your expert advice. What is healthy eating? Honestly, to me, healthy eating isn't one thing and there's no way that it can be. It has to fit the individual, their any medical situations that they have, their social situation, their financial situation. Um, so to me, there's no such thing as a good food or a bad food. There are only foods that are more nutritious and some that are less nutritious, but all of them can fit into a healthy diet really easily. As unsexy as it sounds, though, it's all about moderation and variety. So we're going back to the primary school basics of what are our five food groups? So our fruit, veg, whole grains, um, dairy foods or calcium containing foods, if you're lactose intolerant, um, and then some sort of protein, whether that's your animal proteins or your plant-based proteins, depending on how you prefer to eat. It's really difficult to try and shoebox people into a specific dietary approach and be like, this is the best way because we're all human, we're all individual. And so as a result, we kind of have to adapt diets to work for our individual selves, lifestyles, budgets, beliefs, all of that. So something like keto or paleo, it's not really sustainable because it doesn't give you the variety you need? I personally don't think so. 
So if we take the keto diet, for example, like the ketogenic diet is something that we do use in dietetics, but it is used in particular for young children with epilepsy to help control their seizures. Right. So to put it, yeah. So to put it into an adult cohort is something that we haven't really tested for health. Is it a healthy diet for these individuals who have epilepsy at that young age? Yes. But if you take it for your general wellness warrior, we don't know what it's going to do to them in 10 years time. And the thing with the keto diet is that you're talking about massive amounts of fat, which if you do it to its true nature is literally eating slabs of butter. Are there certain dietary ways of eating that have been shown to give better health outcomes? Definitely. So I guess the one that we hear about the most is the Mediterranean diet. We also have things like the Okinawan diet, which comes from a region of Japan. We're taking elements of every single food group and combining them. So, okay, it's going to contradict (laughs) everything I say about influencers later on, but there's this one piece of advice that really stands out to me and it's from Gwyneth, and Mm -hmm. she said she, and like I don't subscribe to this wholly because I also believe everything in moderation and I like burgers, but she said she doesn't eat anything out of a packet. And to me, that just kind of sounds like what you were saying. It's just natural foods, like eat your vegetables, eat your meats, your grains, things that come from the land, not things that have been processed a jillion times. I guess in some ways that's like the foundation where we would like to be. But as much as I can see where Gwyneth is coming from, the way that she talks about it comes from a very privileged point of view as well. Because you think about the access to resources, money, she can eat organic, she can eat fresh from like farm to table, she can eat, I guess for a lack of better word, the superfoods that everyone is talking about, which we will get back to later because I don't necessarily (laughs) subscribe to that either. But it is a very privileged point of view. And privilege does come into it when we are talking about health as well. So when it comes to packet foods, honestly, I don't see the issue with it. So for example, say take something like 90 second microwave rice, right? It comes from a packet, but it's still just rice. It's affordable. It's cheap. You can cook it in a microwave. If you're someone, say, who isn't very confident in the kitchen, but you want to kind of add a bit more variety, you need a good energy source that's really quick, or you're someone who works shift work and you don't want to be boiling rice at 10 o'clock in the evening, that packet of rice is a lifesaver. So is it healthy? Yeah, definitely. Go for your life. So I guess the way I would look at it is if it is an option to get something natural, but you don't necessarily have to get the organic version to get the benefits. Absolutely not. So there are, there are studies to show that the nutrient content of organic versus commercially produced food are pretty much the same. So organic, because you were looking at the soil, like the nutrition that is in the soil that the, the food is actually grown in. Organic foods, what they tend to be looking more at is what sort of pesticides have been used. What's the manufacturing process for those foods to get them from the field to your table? Now, what is the difference between organic and non-organic foods? The most baseline definition of an organic versus a non-organic food is that organic foods tend to have, I guess, what people would consider to be more environmentally sound 
farming practices. So they don't use commercial um, pesticides, for example. They may not use as many antibiotics if they we're talking about um, meat production. It may also be that they're more likely to be free range for the meat as well. So kind of like that environment is considered to be a little bit more holistic. However, what you're looking at as well is that these practices still have to fit in within food safety and government guidelines. So they are going to have to use pesticides to a degree. They are going to have to make sure that their farm animals are looked after in a way that will promote their health so that they are still healthy to end up on our tables. So what you are actually doing is buying a product that is going to be more expensive, but not necessarily more nutritious for you. For the regular pleb, there's really like, it's not a go on this diet or that diet. It's it really is everything in moderation and it doesn't have to be organic. You can get it from the freezer aisle as long as it's... As long as it works for you and your lifestyle. Yeah. So yeah, I completely agree. What I'm not hearing come out of your mouth is anything about a flat tummy shake or a juice cleanse. What? And I think this is where it gets confusing. It's when... Anyone with good genes or a platform has the ability to become an expert because, of course, if you look traditionally skinny or hot, then whatever you're promoting must be working. And it's wellness fraud. It's not founded on any science. And these opinions often really contrast what the professional advice for healthy eating is. It's so rife at the moment and social media is the scene of the crime. And you know, I love the Kardashians and I would never wish to speak ill of them, but they may be the most well-known of the wellness fraudsters with their flat tummy shakes. I think though, fortunately, most of us know that Chloe definitely didn't get her body from drinking shakes, just like we know that we're not going to be doing a Euro trip for Christmas. But I want to talk about one of the more recent wellness fraudsters called the medical medium. You familiar? I can see Mm. you with a look of disdain. (laughs) So this guy, his name is Anthony Williams, and he has zero medical qualifications, not in Western medicine, not in Eastern medicine, nothing alternatives, none. He gets his advice from the spirits. And he claims it doesn't matter what virus is hot in the media, quote, so little PASAG there for you, Mm -hmm. his guide can protect you. And in this guide, it literally says the number one food viruses like to feed on are eggs. Other foods viruses like to eat are dairy, gluten, and corn. He He's also the founder of the salary juice movement. So he says that salary juice can also cure diseases like COVID, which is so fucking ridiculous. But if COVID itself has taught us anything, it's the people are fucking idiots. So this guy has 2.6 million followers on Instagram and celebrities like Miranda Kerr and Sylvester Stallone preaching this religion to their millions of followers. Like it's so insane, but people believe this shit. So Jess, one more time for the people in the back. Could you please confirm that celery juice does not cure viruses or autoimmune diseases? Can confirm celery juice does not cure viruses or autoimmune disease. I can understand why it might seem like a celery juice detox or cleanse or routine does seem to help people with some of their medical conditions. But I, my my opinion on that is that 
what's happened is they've moved from a way that is not particularly nutritious in eating. So perhaps they're too focused on one of the food groups, for example, or they're tending to eat foods that are less nutrient dense. But if they've changed their diet from a not particularly nutritious way of eating to suddenly now broadening the variety in their diet, they're now eating more veggies, they're now eating more fruits, maybe they've swapped from more refined carbohydrates to more like whole grain type carbohydrates, they're eating less fatty cuts of meat to leaner cuts of meat. Yes, maybe they're having that celery juice in the morning, but it's not the celery juice that's making the change. It's everything else that they've done. Yeah. So it's like, it's it's by comparison. Like, look at what you were doing before, before you say that this is a miracle worker. Yeah, exactly. What I don't understand is how they're still allowed to do this. We saw mm-hmm. uh, people like The Whole Pantry and Belle Gibson and you know, they were selling these diets that said could cure cancer. And this guy and people like him are going down the same path. So mm-hmm. how how are they allowed to do this? Where's where's the restrictions on them? How do they get stopped? <laughs> where's the regulator body? Where's the reg um, yes, that's what I was where's the food regulator's body on Instagram? Yeah, like great question. Funnily enough, there have been some developments kind of over the last year about more regulation. So um, I guess a really prominent one kind of related to COVID was Pete Evans talking about this $1,500 um, dehumidifier that could kill COVID out of the air. And he was taken down by, I think it was the um, Therapeutics Goods Association, but kind of more on a diet bent. Um, Jamila Jamil has been at the forefront of reducing diet tea advertising on social media platforms, yes, um, including the Kardashians. Yes, um, that's how I, I would have just scrolled on past and double tapped, to be honest, if it wasn't yep. for her. Yeah, she's done some really amazing work, but she has a point because diet teas are basically laxatives. So the reason why people see results on them is they are basically pulling water out of themselves and they're, they're seeing the results on the scale. But we know that these teas are linked to things like body dysmorphia, issues with your gut, um, and higher rates of eating disorders as well, especially in the younger demographics. So they are, they are actually dangerous. Whenever someone's telling you something, and especially if it sounds like they're selling you something. So say like, um, the uh, medical medium, he's basically <laughs> selling the cure all to something. What's in it for him? Like, what's his bias? Like, and it's the same for influencers. They're selling you something. You're so wise. So speaking of that, though, this is where I got caught on something that wasn't meant to be selling me something. And I'm so <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but I got caught by a Netflix documentary. And I think the reason I did is because I always thought that documentaries were impartial because when I watch documentaries, they're usually like David Attenborough and how can you present nature with an angle trying to sell me something. And I mean, I'm also super embarrassed because I also like to think I critically analyze a lot of things. And I, I think I watched this documentary and I just didn't even think. And so I think the documentary was what the health. And Mm -hmm. it basically said, you can't eat eggs. Like the same as what the medical medium said, but because it was a documentary, I fell for it. Like after an hour and a half, I was questioning everything I ate, everything I knew about healthy eating. I was wellness (laughs) washed. And I remember 
I messaged you immediately like, oh my God, Jess, can I not eat eggs? You were like, oh, um, read this article. (laughs) (laughs) And it was from a nutritionist or a dietitian and she broke everything down and it showed who funded all the research and how they were really Mm -hmm. selective with the research that they showed. And it, it like, basically it was like McDonald's funding a study on the best fast foods and then funding the documentary to say McDonald's is super healthy. And after that, that was so eye opening for me. Like every documentary that's dropped since like game changers, I've just yeah. been like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. But I mean, I was lucky that I had you, otherwise I might still be three years down the track, not eating eggs. Like obviously I wouldn't cause I have no <laughs> power. Eggs because eggs but I was so perplexed that something that was meant to be impartial was so biased and persuasive so I mean how do we how do we approach these food documentaries and beyond that these bits of information that are meant to be impartial but are actually there's a bias behind them yeah for sure Um, and I do remember you asking me about this and I think that was actually one of the more recent documentaries that really came into the public sphere and where people were going, so now what do we believe? Because as you said, it's a documentary. Why would it be telling us lies? Um, what I'll point you to is that we also have documentaries that tell us that the um, giant sharks, Megalodon, is still alive. And that's a documentary. I mean, look, maybe the UFOs ones we shouldn't laugh about because it is 2020. <laughs> but but I think you're right. Like we We have been brought up to believe that documentaries are a reputable source of information. But as you mentioned, they can be biased as well. And similar to what I was saying before, who are they funded by? What are their biases? What message are they hoping to send out to the world? So cherry picking data is something that we see in science all the time or confirmation bias, where you basically go into research, um, whether it's a study or whether you've gone onto the wide web to look for an answer, not the answers, but a answer that confirms what you already believe. And so even if you are seeing information that is telling you the opposite, because you have this belief, you're probably not going to let it go because you found that one piece of evidence that confirms what you're saying. So I think as we've kind of touched on before, like how do we approach these things? What we have to think about is who was it written by? Who made it? Were there any funding elements to it? What kind of opinions do they already have? So say if it's made by like Gwyneth Paltrow, for example, we kind of know that she has this wellness bent. We have, she's organic. She focuses on like certain foods because they can do apparently X, Y, and Z. So that kind of tells us already what wavelength she's thinking on. And maybe if we're like not on that same wavelength with her to be skeptical because it's probably going to clash with some of the science that's out there already. For me, I'm probably not going to go and scroll through Emerald or any other academic search engine before I head down to Woolies for my daily shop. So for the regular plebs like us, if we just want information on what's best for us, where are good places for us to go? If you want to look at something that's come from like a professional body, having a look at the Dietitian Association website. So in Australia, it would be the Dietitians Association of Australia, um, which interestingly do have really good like little fact sheets on paleo, veganism, keto. And so these have been adapted by dietitians in their kind of like specialist interest groups to be able to give this information out to the public. All right, Jess, let's get quick and dirty because we asked the fans what they wanted to ask you. So give it to us straight like a wheatgrass shot. <laughs> Number one, does drinking collagen work? Unfortunately, our bodies aren't particularly 
like good enough at knowing, okay, I'm aging, therefore I'm going to use this extra collagen to like plump up my cheeks again. So, so um, collagen through a needle, not through a liquid. I mean, look, you know my stance on, um, <laughs> and you know mine, <laughs> and I know yours. I'm not going to comment on that, but what I can tell you is that if you're going to do it through your mouth, it's probably not going to do what you want it to do. <laughs> okay, so collagen drinks, any collagen powders are just fluff; they will not work. This is a contentious one. Mm-hmm. Is veganism better for your body than eating meat? Ultimately, my answer to that is not necessarily. So I do think that as a society and one that's quite a Western society, we do eat a lot of meat, which probably means that we are consuming a lot of extra calories from our saturated fats, so the fats that are not so great for your heart. And we've also seen things like high levels of red meat consumption can increase your risk of certain cancers. But on the flip side, red meat is an amazing source of iron. So it can be part of a really important like balanced diet, especially if you've got something like anemia, for example, where your blood levels of iron are really low. Veganism kind of swings you back to the other end of the spectrum. So you're cutting out a lot of nutritious foods, one mainly being your animal products, which are our only source of a vitamin called vitamin B12 which is really important for energy production. And so we do see a lot of people who are vegan if they're not careful about it and they don't have a wide range of fruit, veg, and then supplementation as well in their diet do become B12 deficient. And that can lead to a lot of nerve problems too. Also, if you're someone who suffers from a lot of gut issues, to say like irritable bowel syndrome, having that level of veggie in your life, not great. It's probably going to cause your guts a lot more damage than good in the long term. Do I think we need to eat more fruit and veg and reduce our meat intake? Yes, which is why Meatless Monday is always going to be a good thing. Noted. I will not eat Big Macs on Mondays. (laughs) Next, which I think we've already answered, but does a juice cleanse or a liver cleanse actually work? No. Let's file that one away under celery juice. (laughs) Just to recap, just to recap in case anyone's only listening to the quick and dirty. If you're going on a juice detox the likelihood is that you are changing other aspects of your diet as well. And they're going to be the ones that are going to create more health for you with that change than the juice detox in itself. This is my favorite question. What is a superfood? Is it a real thing or is it a marketing term? What does it mean? So if we talk about superfood in the broadest sense, it is definitely a marketing term. It's a, a term that is designed to elevate this new and fantastic food product so that it sells. We saw it with quinoa. We saw it with acai berries. For a lot of these things where it's like, this is the new food that is going to be the be all and end all to cure everything. That's definitely the marketing definition of a superfood. However, can food be super? Definitely. So this might be controversial for our medical medium fans out there, but <laughs> I personally think that eggs are a superfood. And this is what I say to my patients all the time. It's a food that's high in protein. It contains basically every micronutrient under the sun with the exception of like vitamin C. It's a great snack. It's great on toast. Like eat your eggs, people. Okay, Jess, cooking meats, does it make a difference if it's barbecue or oven cooked? So both absolutely delicious ways of cooking your meat. I would caution, the only thing I would caution about barbecuing the heck out of your meat is the more burnt stuff, the more 
carcinogens, so basically the burnt stuff that you have, um, and increased consumption of carcinogens is in, uh, associated with increased cancer risk. So while barbecuing is absolutely fine, just don't incinerate your sausages. Does it make a difference if your vegetables are fresh or frozen? To me, honestly, no. And I think there's actually a, a really big argument to be had for frozen veg, as I kind of mentioned before. Frozen. The good thing about frozen veg is that because it's often snap frozen, you kind of get the produce in the moment that it was picked or harvested, whatever you want to call it. So in that sense, it is actually quite nutritionally intact. Whereas if you think about the poor wilted broccoli that's sitting in the back of your fridge right now, the poor guy's probably seen better days. So eating him is probably not going to give you as much nutrition as you kind of hoped for. This one, not so much about food, but when to eat. And again, like I feel like this is an age-old question. Should you eat before or after exercise? It's an individual situation. Um, as a general rule of thumb, having something that's got carbohydrates in it, so say like a muesli bar or banana, especially if you haven't really eaten anything else because like you're working out first thing in the morning or you've gone through a full day of work and perhaps had to work through your breaks, having something with carbohydrates in it about 30 minutes before exercising is probably going to boost your performance a little bit because your body actually has energy to be able to run off. In terms of recovery, and this is often where people talk about your nutrition, having something that's got a little bit of a mix of protein and carbohydrates in it. So for example, say like tuna and crackers or even something like a chocolate milk, and it doesn't even have to be like a protein chocolate milk, will give your body a better chance of recovering, especially if you've done like resistance training. So say weights, for example. Did you just yeah, say go, <laughs> go have a workout and then drink a chocolate big M? But if you're someone who really enjoys working out and you really push yourself, so say you've gone and done a, a weightlifting session, you're lifting quite heavy weights, you're trying to push yourself to get your personal bests, for example, something like a chocolate Big M, it's got sugars that are going to replenish um, your muscles and also open up your muscle cells to be able to receive any of the protein that you're putting into it as well. So in that sense, and because it's a liquid, it'll get digested super quickly it is actually going to be more beneficial for you to have that regular big M in that moment than not have anything at all. See, I'm cherry picking the data here. All I'm listening <laughs> to is have a chocolate big have, M. Have a chocolate big M. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Have a chocolate big M. Okay, so, like, last question. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the most important one. Can I achieve a JLo body while regularly eating McDonald's? The million-dollar question, isn't it? The million-dollar <laughs> question. I'm going to say yes, but oh my God. there's always going to be a but. There's always going to be a but. So when you're talking about regularly eating McDonald's, are we talking like once in a week or regularly as in like three meals a day? Because if it's three meals a day, sorry, I got to lay it down to you. That's probably not going to happen. You're probably going to feel pretty rubbish as well overall. But saying that, if you're having, say, like even something like a Big Mac, if you're having a Big Mac once a week, but the rest of the week you're eating in a way that is helping you to achieve your body goals, I guess, for lack of a better term, can you do it? And will it probably keep you sane? Yeah, most likely. Good. Again, I'm going to take that bit of information. I can eat McDonald's, <laughs> I can eat a chocolate Big M, and I can get a great bod. <laughs> I think that everything you've said is just is kind of common sense, but I think sometimes we just are so influenced by what we see on our Instagram and on our screens that we just need to be reminded to eat well and eating well is just using what you learned in primary school, really. 
Thank you so much, Jess. I've got to go because my Uber Eats is here. (laughs) But thank you so much. That was, it's just common sense, but sometimes you just need to hear it. So thank you so much for taking the time. No worries at all. And I think you're right. I think that it is common sense, but we live in a world that is telling us that we have to do it and the sexiest and the fastest way possible. But sometimes it's just about getting back to basics. Thanks for listening to Large Almond Latte. If you loved the podcast, which we assume you do if you made it this far, a five-star rating and review would actually mean so much to us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Media because we put a lot of effort into it. If you'd like to join the weekly podcast conversation, join us in the Facebook group at Large Almond Latte and don't worry, we're not spammy at all. If you're still looking for even more low-involvement entertainment, head to our website, largealmondlatte.com. There you'll find the show notes, but also even more low involvement articles to scroll for hours upon hours. See you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.